and welcome to Linux Action News, our weekly take on Linux and the open source world. This is episode 14, recorded on August 13th, 2017. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe, and happy mid-August. We're officially in the mid of the summer months, and there's one thing on everybody's mind right now, and that's solving universal software installation on Linux. Apparently, the biggest problem plaguing our land, and there's been a bit of movement this week. Yes, so it seems that Ike over at Solus has decided to adopt Snaps. So as well as Flatpak, which they were talking about adopting and have, but hasn't really gained much traction because there's not much that needs to be Flatpaked, he's given in finally and has now accepted that Snaps are going to be part of Solus. Originally, it was going to be in the a kind of upcoming future ISO, whereas he's done a lot of work over the weekend by the looks of things, and it's going to be in the very next release. Supporting both flat packs and snaps is sort of the obvious solution because they are, as they grow, starting to serve different needs. And what I like about Ike's implementation for both of them in Solus is they both have full-fledged big boy sandboxing via their individual technologies. That's a big part of this. Other distributions have implemented various levels of support, but they don't always nail the sandboxing part. And I think there was a fair amount of... uh, cross-project collaboration there. I'm, I've invited Ike and uh, Wimpy on Linux Unplugged next Tuesday to sort of give me that sort of picture of it, because I think that might be part of the interesting details here. However, the bigger takeaway here is we're really settling down on these two formats. AppImage, by its very nature, doesn't really need this cross-team collaboration. You can just sort of run app images. But this this low-level stuff for flat packs and snaps, where there's really built-in proper sandboxing support, and there is a community aspect of it to bring in more developers working with these, this is a huge thing for all distributions to sort of adopt and implement correctly. And this would be a model for a lot of them to follow because if you don't adopt it properly or implement it correctly, you could sort of bungle the whole thing. And the key issues that I see that stand out are where do you draw the line from what you package in your repositories versus what you ship as flat packs? And and how do the outside projects view it, like the GNOME project? How do they view that relationship and how it should be set up? That's a really deep thing for distributions to think about. And then how do you implement the security, the sandboxing? And I really think Solus has nailed it, and it'd be a good model for other distributions to look at if they're trying to make this decision. Well, yeah, and also you kind of glossed over the community aspect there, but I think that the way they've worked together, the Solus and Ubuntu teams, to make this happen has got to be the model for how other distros are going to do it because you can't expect them to do this completely alone. And so... Hopefully, going forward, we're going to see more of this collaboration because if you're going to have a universal package format, you need collaboration. Absolutely. And also, I'd like to see this sort of resolved so we could move on and uh, just start shipping software, you know, and just get people like companies and open source projects to start shipping their software as snaps or flat packs. Yeah, although it's quite telling that in one of the Google Plus posts that Ike made about this, he said, personally, I think everyone's lost their marbles chasing universal apps as if it's the number one problem we have in Linux, as opposed to the tangible, attractive features to bring developers across and create awesome stuff for our platform. But hey, whatever. That's easy for uh, Solus to say with their fairly well-maintained repositories where they frequently update things to make apps like Discord work when there's all of a sudden new dependency. Not all distributions are as um, diligent with their repository hygiene. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, do, I do totally understand where he's coming from. 
but it's because the problem, I think, isn't as pronounced in Solus as it is in other distributions, in part. And also, in part, because he's right. It isn't the number one problem we're trying to solve right now, but there are companies that have an interest in this, and there are long-term problems that have been nagging Linux for a very long time that people are in positions to solve, and they really want to solve them now. So you kind of have to jump on the bandwagon when it's here, and I think that's what he's done. He's made a really practical choice in how to implement it. And uh, he, you know, one thing I'll always give the Solus Project and Ike specifically, and one of the reasons why it's one of my top contenders as a distribution is he'll take a he'll take a strong stance on something, but uh, he is totally willing to take in information, consider that, and then. Uh, change his position. And uh, every time he's done it, I'm like, yep, that makes a lot of sense. Every single time it's been like, yeah, that's, that seems like a really clear decision to make and other people should probably follow that. Yeah. First of all, with Flatpak, it seemed a bit strange and it was a bit of a U-turn, but he's kind of not afraid to U-turn or flip-flop as or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. if it makes sense. And yeah, right. yeah, that is what makes Solus good, I think, that you've got someone right. who is willing to change his mind based on new evidence and new thinking. Yeah, and he famously articulated the anti-flatpak, anti-snap stance on Linux Unplugged a while ago, and he made a really good cognizant argument against it. And now he's made a really good cognizant argument for it. (laughs) So I can't wait to talk to him more about it. Uh, But it's... Now we just wait and see where this actually goes because we got to get people shipping software. And Canonical's playing a role in that. And they're also looking at reshaping their community infrastructure a bit, which may down the road play into some of this, like, community adoption of Snaps. Yeah, Popey has been very busy writing blog posts over the last week or so by the looks of things. The first one we're going to talk about is the Ubuntu Community Hub proposal. And in this blog post, he basically says that the Ubuntu community portal that they've got now is just not up to scratch. It hasn't been maintained very well. It's a bit old. A lot of the information is outdated. And as a result of that, it's hard for people to come into the Ubuntu community. And so he's proposing, well, it's quite a long-winded blog post, but what it essentially amounts to is a discourse forum. Is that is that too harsh to boil it down? No, I I think it's you know he's thought a lot about this and they're thinking a lot about community and uh, you've boiled it down pretty much correctly. They're proposing they replace the community portal with something that Popey considers more dynamic and collaboratively maintained. Uh, they would raise the profile of conversation and content, maybe pull over really great legacy content from some of the places they'd be spinning down. Although really they're not looking at replacing all their other sites. Um, more like add to them because things like uh, the well-established Ask Ubuntu or Ubuntu Forms wouldn't go anywhere. So this would be more like a supplement to them. But is it not just potentially adding more confusion, yet another place to get information about Ubuntu? Yeah, I think it could be to a degree. I think also you have to wonder if community hasn't changed a bit online. It's I think it's less and less common for people to uh, be able to stand up their own silos and have community come to them. I think it's more common now you have to go to the community wherever they're at. And sometimes it's they're on, they're on Mumble. Sometimes they're on Discord. Sometimes they're on Twitter. Sometimes they're on... Um, you know, whatever. I, I could, the list could go on and on. I, was, I just think that uh, it's there's so many established resources for people and they are so allergic now to creating new accounts and having yet another password that could get leaked or compromised or yet another thing that's going to email them that they've sort of, they've sort of settled in now. And uh, I think it's more about having a beachhead in those areas, like Telegram is another example, and just having a presence there. You must, you must feel this to a degree with your community around late night Linux. Well, I think that that is, it it is somewhat fractured. um, And it's 
kind of mostly in the Telegram group, I suppose, but we do have people who don't really hang out there and are more interested in commenting directly on the website. And I mean, back in Linux Luddites days, we had hoped to have one community on the website and try and mm -hmm. kind of focus it there and, and have the comments and email notifications of replies and stuff like that. But it just didn't really work out that way. Some people want to be on Twitter. Some people want to be on Google+. Plus. So you just kind of have to be everywhere, really. It feels like the golden era of the forum or building your own wiki around your community where you have lots of active contributors is sort of past as there are bigger fish out there that people want to spend their time with. But it's it's not necessarily a wrong approach here. They're, they're essentially saying, well, discourse sort of solves that problem because discourse is commonly used. It's something that a lot of people have accounts with. It's something that they already have familiarity with, so you're not asking them to spend their time to learn something new. It's something dynamic and modern that people are used to seeing. So I think that's exactly what Popey is going for, and he's thought a lot about this, plus trying to solve other problems like onboarding and communications. So... Hopefully this works. I just, I wonder how much traction it'll actually pick up. Is it just me or Discord and Discourse? Are they just too similar and confusing? Very. Yeah, it's so annoying. It's, it feels like namespace collision. I suppose, you know, one of the things that could be really great about this is they could see a reinsurgence of new users with the, uh, with the switch to GNOME. So having the good infrastructure in place as those new people show back up or return could be a good timing. Yeah, well, I think things are changing fundamentally. I mean, they have changed fundamentally. It feels like they they really went for it with the phone stuff and convergence, and that just didn't work. And it's like Shuttleworth picked up the company and just shook it, like an Etch-a-Sketch, you know, just totally um, shook it off and just remade it, basically. And so that's what we're seeing now, aren't we? We're seeing developments in all the different places, and we're finding... You know, it, it was like a huge explosion almost, wasn't it, of the whole project. And now the, the dust has settled. I'm using too many uh, metaphors and stuff here, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it, Things are shaping out in their own ways, and this is a huge part of it by the looks of things. Meanwhile, development on what is turning into one of the most interesting releases of, of Ubuntu in many, many years is going on. So all of these big changes and... There's staffing changes. A lot of things you have to imagine behind the scenes are changing. People have roles they've never had before. And all of that's happening while development continues on on what actually seems to be a fairly impressive ver version of Ubuntu 1710. And uh, to sort of help solidify that, they're making a call for people to stop by and help them polish the experience. <laughs> Yeah, the 24th and 25th of August, the Ubuntu Artful Desktop Fit and Finish Sprint. So they're going to be working on this during the day. They're kind of paid developers and, and people at Canonical, but they're inviting community members to come in in the evening and there'll be uh, beer, soft drinks and pizza by the sounds of things. I don't think they want just anyone. I think you've got to be able to offer something to them they talk about css experts and people who know quite a lot about gnome shell and gtk themes and stuff like that and they're really trying to just as the name suggests iron out all the little paper cut bugs make it as smooth an experience as possible when you install this because they realize how important this release is I really encourage you, if you're in the London area, even if you're not an Ubuntu user, consider going. Imagine maybe building a relationship with one of the developers of Ubuntu by helping out with something there. So they have a deadline for filling out the form. It is Friday, August 18th, and uh, you'll need to find the link in our show notes. They don't have a lot of room, so you'll need to fill out that form. 
And then if you can't make it too, let them know if you do sign up just to kind of help them out so they can manage all that. I like this a lot. I like this I like this a surprising amount because I'm racking my brain right now, Joe, and I'm trying to think of any other distribution that I've heard do this where they're say, well, they'll say, come into our corporate offices, sit down at some computers that we'll set up and bang on our desktop just so we can make sure the fit and finish is as top notch as possible. Have you ever heard of any other? I've heard of I've heard of Microsoft and Apple doing this, but I've never heard of a distribution doing this. Well, isn't that because the likes of Red Hat would pay people to do it rather than just giving them some pizza and beer? <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe they would like hire a group. They would probably go through some sort of contracting agency that would like go out and hire people for a temporary 30-day job. I mean, they would probably be very corporate about it, where this is more like, come and have a beer and eat some pizza and bang on GNOME for us. So if you have a little GNOME shell skills or even CSS, because, I mean, let's be honest, that's what these themes are made out of. And, of course, you got to probably... Probably be a little familiar with Linux because it's not so much about total new user experience as it is the refinement of a professional desktop. That's a, I think it's a great idea, and I'd be uh, I'd love if anybody goes. I'd love for them to let me know how it went because there's some things there in Ubuntu 17.10 that I think are going to be game changers. I can't wait to review this distribution. There's for me personally big stuff landing in Ubuntu 17.10, and I've talked about it before, but for one of them. I just, I have to just, I have to repeat, I'm so thrilled that they are working on proper hardware accelerated video playback on the Linux desktop. And they're doing it by working with the low level codecs, patching that stuff. They're working with Chromium, like Chromium 60. They're enabling video acceleration. And you you can see a 50% savings in CPU overhead using the VA API. Now, not only does that translate to better battery savings. But for me, it the biggest thing is it just means my fan runs less and it makes my laptop less annoying and my laptop gets less hot. And these these any if you have a Haswell or newer CPU, it's going to work. And it's just you're going to install 1710 and you're going to have a 50% CPU reduction in something you maybe done like watch a YouTube video on a daily basis. This is this is a huge benefit. Now, of course, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to take probably several releases of working on this, but I can't wait for this to land in 1710. And they're sending the code upstream too. They're sending it upstream. So this could land in Fedora. This could land on all the other desktops out there. And it would be massive for battery life on Linux. And it's going to be massive for 4K video playback. What I really like about this, and we're kind of taking this info this week from the Ubuntu Desktop Weekly update, is if you look at the screenshot, not only is it a probably a laptop that's 720p by the looks of things, it's only got 4 gigs of RAM. So they're not doing this on huge powerhouse machines. They're doing it on realistic machines that people actually have. Yeah. They also are adding patches, and they're sending these upstream, that will enable or disable network connectivity, which I think is then the little checker. I think that's just brilliant. And it's going to be a little toggle switch in privacy settings of GNOME Control Center to allow you to turn on or off the connectivity checker. Yeah, you know, we talked about uh, at length when they first announced that they were ditching Unity and going to GNOME, and I was very cynical about it. I said that, they're basically abandoning the desktop. And people said, well, hopefully it's going to make GNOME better as a result. And I, I was very skeptical of that. But here we are. The proof is here. They already are contributing to GNOME. They're making it better for everyone. 
Mm-hmm. We haven't even touched on the patches that they've done to Pulse Audio, uh, which I think are, are pretty solid, and uh, the fixes to Bluetooth, which are also all upstream stuff. So yeah, I'm very happy with this. I'm looking forward to trying out 17.10, and I'm, I'm really hoping to see other distributions pick up some of this upstream code and ship it. A 50% reduction in CPU is just such a huge win for just upgrading your free desktop. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to support the show and sign up for a free seven-day trial. It's a platform to learn about Linux, everything from the low-level stuff up to the high-level stuff that you can really boost your resume, AWS, Azure, OpenStack, which, which is an incredible topic, or learning to develop like PHP or Ruby. What I really like about Linux Academy is they'll work with your busy schedule. And one of the problems when you're super busy with self-paced learning is that every now and then you just start slipping. It's, you know, it's a willpower thing. And what I love about Linux Academy is they have these gentle ways to get you back on track. They'll work with you in a slow and steady pace to win the race. It's a perfectly fine-tuned system that I can go in and adjust depending on what I have going on that week. And it allows me to stick to goals for learning. They also have content plans specifically for getting your certs or a particular career track and a community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to sign up for a free seven-day trial. And thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring Linux Action News. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Okay, let's talk about Nextcloud. We haven't spoken about them for a while. And this week they announced a partnership with various education companies and organizations. I think the most interesting one is Moodle which is a platform used by universities and colleges all over the world, and they say more than 80 million users. And so it's effectively just apps for Nextcloud, which anyone can install, but they've been working hard with these various organizations to integrate stuff really well. And it just seems like such a logical step for them, doesn't it, to push into education, because that is a guaranteed market for what they're trying to do. Yeah, that does seem like a really great step for them. They've also worked with Moodle to integrate authentication on the Moodle side of things. So that's pretty great. Stop and think about that for a second. That means Nextcloud can plug into all these existing established Moodle user databases. So you install an app on your Moodle. <laughs> that's pretty funny, actually. That's a, that's a, I, bet, I bet it gets old if you work with Moodle, but for somebody who <laughs> yeah. doesn't, that's funny. Uh, then you, uh, you, so you have this new app. Then you can offer users the ability to access files from Nextcloud. Uh, you can also then manage the sharing rights from within Moodle. That's big, I think. And if you look at the list here, you have five new apps that were created specifically as part of this collaboration between Nextcloud and these partners. It's a big deal for Nextcloud. And you can go get these apps individually with your existing installation because they're open source and they're up in that app store, quote unquote. Um, or you can go get the, uh, the bundle, which I think is also really smart because then in the education market, it's something they can wrap their head around and just start deploying. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense from a business point of view. If they want to keep everything open source, they don't have that freemium model that they used to have. They need to offer support and hosting and stuff. And education is a good sell for that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And if you're going to be looking at Moodle and Nextcloud together, why not view them in the new version of Firefox, version 55, which is the one I'm officially excited about, Joe. Yeah, because now we've got cool web VR. Oh, no, hang on. That's on oh, Windows. Oh, wait, no, that's, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. 
But we have got better performance and just general improvements across the board. I mean, I've tried this out. It's not in Ubuntu 16.04 yet, so I had to just download the tar and extract it and run it. And just instantly on my i3 laptop, it was just way faster at everything. Yep. Yep. My my experience as well, much, much faster. And I'm using only the plugins that uh, work with electrolysis. So that's part of, I think, why it's working really fast for me. I was digging around on hacks.mozilla.org, and I'll try to link this in the show notes. Holy crap, Joe. Holy, holy smokes. This is amazing work that they've been doing. And it's the progress of a bunch of various different projects coming together inside Mozilla and landing in version 55 of Firefox. And it means all kinds of things are faster at every single level of Firefox. So we know a couple of big name things, but it's like a hundred little things too. And I have, I'll have that linked in the show notes if you want to geek out on that. It's, it's pretty cool. But for me, I think the big takeaway feature that I'm a really big fan of is they've made the Flash plugin click to activate by default. That's long, long overdue. Yeah, and you could always do it with an extension, but you know, I always end up with tons of extensions, so it's nice to just have it baked right in. And the next versions of Firefox, we're going to have a couple of new versions landing over the next few months, and they're also looking pretty great, including a new UI. So literally pretty great. Version 57 of Firefox is slated to be released sometime in November. It'll be the biggest user-facing change. It's the one all the users are going to end up talking about. It's going to ship the new Photon UI, which you can actually get your hands on if you dig around. And that should probably get a lot of people talking about Firefox. Yeah, it's in the nightly on Android and on the desktop. And I've mm. tried them both. And the, the mobile one, it doesn't look massively different, but the desktop just feels much more modern, really. Just everything mm. about it is a little bit more modern. And one of the features that wasn't in the version of 55 that I tried, which is strangely rolling out to users on a kind of case-by-case basis, I'm not exactly sure what's happening with that, but on the 57 um, nightly, you've got this screenshot within Firefox button and so it's right up there on the top right next to downloads and stuff. And you click that and then you can select the area of the screen that you want, including if you want to scroll way down. And so you can take a huge, long, thin screenshot of a forum thread or something like that. Um, and that's baked right into Firefox, which is a good feature as well, I think. Um, it saves you having to print screen and then open it with GIMP and then crop it. It's kind of all right there. That is really cool. I'll play with that. Now, I, I got to also say... I've been getting a few emails, and they're along the lines of, once 57 ships, I got to switch to Chrome, because the <laughs> Zool-based add-on that I have isn't getting replaced, and it won't work with 57. And a year ago, they made a Chrome version. And so I've been eyeballing that, and this is a common story. And I, I could see it happening to me, too. So 57 will also be a divisive release, because there are people, that's, that's their stake in the ground, is once the Zool-based add-ons are discontinued, I'm out. Yeah, it's going to be real crunch time, isn't it? Because at the moment, the developers don't have to do that, because although the new web extensions are enabled in 55, they're not mandatory, whereas once we get to 57, that's it. So maybe at that point, they'll actually develop the, you know, the new extensions. But yeah, I'm kind of not holding my breath for a lot of them. But you know, there's kind of a, a bigger point here. We've been talking about what Mozilla have been up to for the last, I don't know, five, six weeks. And it seems like, much like Ubuntu, when they cut the dead weight of the mobile thing, in the case of Mozilla, it was Firefox OS. And with Ubuntu, it was Ubuntu Touch and Convergence. It was kind of like, they, once they accepted defeat on that, it cut 
the dead weight and allowed them to progress in other areas. I, I mean, am I just constructing a narrative here that doesn't exist? Am I reading too much into it? If it's a narrative you're constructing, it's one that I agree with. It seems to be the case for sure. And I have to wonder from a team standpoint, imagine you're sinking your heart and soul into a project and it's it's not taking off. It's not doing particularly great, but you're, you just keep grinding away at it and you start to feel the inevitability of defeat. Then all of a sudden, things shift, and you're now working on the thing that you originally signed up at that company to work for, what you have been passionate about all along, what brought you to that company in the first place and got you notoriety. And now you're back working on that. And you've been thinking about that for ages in the back of your mind, man, if I could only get back to that project, I would do this, I would do this, I would do this. And well, man, now that we learned how to do that on a super low memory profile, I would love to bake that back in. And then things things change. And all of a sudden, you've been unleashed and you're working on your project again. Maybe there's a bit of like a, finally, a, the, you've released us, sort of a, a, a swing back and a, and, a, and a huge new burst of motivation to really bang this stuff out. And there's essentially a, a, like a, a greater competitiveness now than they seem to have ever had. And it's got to be as a result of that, at least to a degree. I have to agree. Yeah. All right. Well, before we move off Firefox, uh, let's quickly mention that uh, Epiphany, or is it GNOME Web? I don't know. The browser that is the GNOME default, the new version of that is going to support Firefox Sync. So that's pretty cool. It really is. If you want a nice, lightweight WebKit browser uh, on the Linux desktop, but take advantage of Firefox Sync, and including the syncing of tabs and passwords, and it'll even sync with Firefox, and even the mobile version of Firefox, this is going to be a this is going to be a super great feature built into Epiphany. And they have also, we have a link in the show notes of this story. Dig around on their blog. They also have um, a good write-up of some WebKit woes on Linux and which distributions, like Arch and Fedora, are getting it right and which distributions are potentially shipping really bad code, like OpenSUSE. All that's in the blog, too, that's linked in the show notes. All right, well, let's round things off and talk about Android 8, which is going to be released pretty soon by the looks of things. And one feature that they're going to introduce, which I think is really important, is streaming OS updates. So at the moment, to get your OTA updates with Android, it downloads it to the user partition and then copies it over the system partition. And so if your phone is full of photos and videos and apps and doesn't have enough space for the huge binary that it needs to download, then your OTA update won't work, and then you're stuck using an old vulnerable version. And that's if you get an update in the first place. Whereas now, it's going to effectively just download it straight to that system partition, but only if you are using certain devices that support this AB partition layout. Right. And the other thing, too, that these, those, it's not just the, like the gig image that it downloads or even the 200 megabyte image that it downloads. It's that it, when it extracts it, it then it, it needs an additional space. So it needs the compressed image space and it needs to extract it. And so existing Android has a system partition and like a cache partition. And that's where it's just a set of reserve space on your phone sitting there waiting to be used for updates, which most Android phones don't even get these updates. And it just sits there wasting space. So starting with Android 7, Google introduced a new feature called Seamless Updates, which created a System A and a System B partition. As you'd expect, 
Only the Pixel supports this at this time for some reason. <laughs> and then starting with version 8, that A-B part- partition swap update where you update partition B while you're running from partition A and then you swap them at boot time. And if there's a failure, you just swap back. We've heard Fedora and Canonical talking about this a lot recently too. But they're going to start streaming updates, Joe, to that second partition at the block level. Like block updates over the internet, I would imagine compressed right into this partition no big image to download and extract. So they're going to be able to remove using that cache partition altogether, and it'll just be block by block. It'll come down to your phone. And when it's all settled and in the right order, you'll reboot and you'll be running from a new partition. DD over the network, essentially. Yeah, yeah, really. And uh, I, they're going to actually backport it to 7.0 as well. Mostly, I would imagine, to upgrade Pixel phones because, again, only only the Pixels support this. But an OEM could do this if they wanted to. It's it's built into 7 and it's going to be extended in Android 8.0. But the big question is why are none of the OEMs doing this? Oh, that's that's the long, dark tunnel that is that is the debate about Android OEMs and who's responsible for what and how long they should be supported. You know, at least at the end of the day, as I, as I love to say. This is going to make it possible and safer to upgrade these phones if vendors choose to do it, right? If the vendors choose to take advantage of it, they now have a better mechanism in place to facilitate it. That seems like a good thing. And if you're buying a Pixel, you've got more bulletproof updates. That seems like a good thing. It does sort of put a little salt in the wound. There was no way for me to read this article and not be sort of bitter about it because this is like a great, safe way to upgrade a phone OS, but the vast, vast majority of the users will never get it. Yep. Well, you never know. Now that we've got this extra feature of the streaming updates, maybe more OEMs will uh, take it on board. And you know what? For our audience, it would really be good enough if the uh, if the ROM community took it on. Because this could yeah. be just an awesome way for uh, ROMs to update, especially ones that frequently update. And every time you update, there's a chance of a problem. So if you can build a safer mechanism... That, this might actually be the the biggest the biggest users of this might actually be the ROM community, and that that could be good too. Yeah, every time I flash a new nightly update, I hold my breath. Right? Wouldn't that be nice if that was a little more stress free? And that, this could this could achieve that. Even if your Samsungs and your your Huawei's and your HTCs aren't getting the updates they need, at least uh, you know, guys like Joe are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very good, Joe. Well, I want to encourage everybody to go over to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe to get all the ways to subscribe and all the different podcast catchers that will listen to the and download the episode for you every single stinking week. Yeah, and go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch. And please consider supporting the entire network at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash jupitersignal. And so next week's episode will be a day late because I'm going to be going to OGCamp and won't be around to record as we normally do on Sunday. So look out for that basically a day later than normal. Yeah, and if you have a question for Joe, go over to Late Night Linux website and uh, submit a question for those guys because you guys are seeking questions right now for OddCamp. So put a plug in for that too. And uh, catch us next Monday, even if it's a day late, maybe it'll be Tuesday, but catch us next week for our weekly take on Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at Joe Ressington. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. See you later. Later.